fact that you're in the room means that you found the entrance into the building, so that's, that's a good sign. Uh, just a couple notes uh, as we begin. Um, one, yeah, you probably saw that on, at least on the east side of the building, there's a construction project that's starting that Waters is building a new playground in that space, so it will be like this for at least the next couple months, um, and we'll use entrance three to get into the building. Um, a couple of people asked if the turf field is still open. It is still available, so I know some of the kids like to run out there, and especially as the weather gets warmer. So, so it's just really the space right in front of the gym that's blocked off. Um, the other thing is that it's a little cool in the gym, if you might have already felt. So I apologize. The engineer said there's an issue with the heater. It's not working properly, so it's not giving out full heat. So the Waters School apologized for the, the state of the temperature. Hopefully it will be better soon. Uh, just Okay, so after those couple of notes, uh, welcome again. And uh, if you look at the inside cover of your order of worship, you, you'll see the information about children's classes and things going on today with the children and youth. And then also I just want to highlight some announcements. So if you look at the back of your order of worship, the last couple pages, just want to make sure that you see and are aware of a few things going on. Um, <clears throat> one, a couple thing, one thing in particular to highlight is that we're getting close to Holy Week and Easter, and there is uh, a Monday, Thursday, and a Good Friday service that we'll have here at, at Waters. Uh, Monday, Thursday is the Remembrance Jesus Last Supper, and then Good Friday is Remembering His Death. And so those are... We'll be at seven, both at 7 o'clock, both here, and child care will be available uh, during those services. Uh, the other thing to mention is that the chili cook-off and the line dancing, unfortunately, Covenant needs to postpone this event. So I know some of you were ready to dance. I'm sorry about that, but that somebody came up and they need to postpone it probably till the fall. So I'll keep you posted. Um, we just found that on Friday. No, more, no chili, no dancing, unless you just want to... Do that on your own. So, uh, and the other thing just to mention is that um, we're having a seed swap at the community space on the 25th. So that's this Saturday. If you have questions, you can talk to Caroline Santiago about that. And the information is in your order uh, about that. So there's a lot going on um, and ways to get involved and different ways to connect with others. And so I encourage you to take a look at this. Um, but what God has called us and invited us to come, to gather as his people, and to come and worship. Let's get ready to do that by taking a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 23. Stand. We'll sing together. <laughs> my shepherd I shall not want I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not want. 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not want. i 
Let's pray together. Almighty God, we know that we all like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own way. But you, Lord, in your grace and mercy, you laid our iniquity on your son, Jesus. And Father, we rejoice in this full and this final work of atonement. We're humbled that though he is innocent and guiltless, that he took the punishment for our sin and he died the death uh, that, that we deserved. And we hide in the reality that you, God, made him who, known, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Father, meet us. Meet us by your spirit in the places we are this morning. Meet some of us in the everyday rhythm of life, in the mundane, in the routine, and remind us, Lord, of the goodness of sitting at your feet. Lord, meet some of us in the beautiful, the exhausting care of guiding our children and our families. Some of us in the uncertainty of trying to figure out what our next move is. Lord, meet those of us in need of that reminder that we are not alone, that our worth is not bound up in our achievements, that we have to be put together for you to hear and engage us. Lord, meet us in these places, we pray, with your wonderful surprise and grace, which we know is free and full of rest and life. Do this by your spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Uh, we do turn now to our time of confession, uh, where we acknowledge with God our sin, our need of him. And we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. Loving Father, search our hearts and show us the places where we need your forgiveness and your mercy. Remember, O oh Lord, your great mercy and love. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, O oh God. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, 
Take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we come to you in sin and weakness. We confess it's hard to be honest about our neediness. Like Adam and Eve, we want to cover up our guilt and shame. But God, we know that you see us, and in your kindness, through your Son, you lead us out of death and into life. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 103. Let's join together. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Well, as we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
This morning is John 11, 17 through 44. <clears throat> now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you... Always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. morning. It's good to be here with you. Thank you, Jackie, for reading. Sorry, let me see if I can fix this. I mentioned this in the beginning of the service, but just to mention again, again, I apologize for the temperature in the, uh, in the gym. The, the heat's not working properly, and so the uh, Waters Administration said that they're sorry about that, and hopefully it'll be different uh, in next Sunday. But anyway, so maybe you'll, you'll, hopefully you'll stay awake for sure during the sermon. Um, but today we're going to do something a little different. We have two passages that we'll look at together. Uh, just as a reminder, you'll see an order of your, a note in your order that uh, during Lent we have been having a sermon series where we look at how God uh, acts towards our sin and shame. Uh, for example, you know, God washes away our guilt. God forgives our trespasses. God remembers our sin no more. And by looking at what God does to our sin, The hope is that we can consider both the nature of our need and also the depth of God's care for us. And that by looking at these descriptions or these actions, we can uh, maybe in a fresh way think again about God's love for us in Christ. This morning, through looking at Jeremiah and through Hebrews, we're going to hear this declaration from God. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 
I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This declaration is a promise through the prophet Jeremiah as part of the language of the new covenant. And it's quoted in the New Testament book of Hebrews where Jesus, our heavenly, eternal high priest, fulfills this promise, fulfills the promise of God that our sins will not be remembered anymore. So let's look at these readings. This is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and then Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected all for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he added, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Well, this is God's word, and it's given for our good. Well, as we look at these passages and think about this declaration that God will remember our sins no more, I want us to, to ask two questions. Um, First being, what does God promise? And the second question is, how does Jesus accomplish the promise? So what does God promise, then how does Jesus bring it about or fulfill it? And maybe as a way to think about this question of what God promises, I wanna start with some nicknames. Think about the nicknames in our life. In Chicago, we have nicknames, right? The Windy City, the city with big shoulders. I didn't realize this, but I was Googling nicknames for Chicago, one of them is the Paris on the Plains. Did you guys know that? Paris on the Plains. So nicknames, maybe, you, maybe you've had one. Uh, Owen and I were watching a documentary the other day about street basketball in New York City. And all the players, you know, I don't know their actual names. They all just had nicknames. Skip to my Lou, Helicopter, The Professor, The Dribble Machine, and my favorites, Hot Sauce, and Half Man, and Half Amazing. So we can think about nicknames, and maybe you've had some in your life. Sometimes we like them. <laughs> Sometimes we get stuck with things that we prefer not to have. And it might be strange to think about this, but one of the ways to think about Jeremiah is he is a prophet that had a nickname. And I don't know if he liked his nickname or not, but he was known as the weeping prophet. 
the weeping prophet. Not sure yet what he thought about that, but he was called that. That was his nickname, if we can use that term, because part of his call, central to what he was supposed to do as God, before the people on behalf of God was to cry, was to lament, was to shed tears over the ways that the neighbors around him were being treated with injustice, especially the vulnerable, and to weep and lament over how the, the strong neighbor Babylon was treating the people of God. He wept, and as we can imagine from that nickname, he was ministering during a very difficult time, a difficult time where there was all sorts of difficulties internally, where the strong were looking out for themselves and forgetting the weak, and externally, the greatest strength of the, of the day, Babylon, was crushing them, making life miserable. But it's in the midst of tears and lament that a day came that the Lord called the weeping prophet to deliver a message of hope. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, said God, for my people will return home. Say, for I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have continued my faithfulness toward you. These words came, come from chapters 30 through 34, which is known as the book of comfort, that Jeremiah is filled with lament and, and weeping and worry, but in the midst there is these chapters, the books of comfort, they speak hope in the midst of despair. You see, the people... Maybe we can relate to this, not maybe being exiled from our home, but we can relate to the pain of feeling the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our failures, or feeling just exposed by, and mistreated by one who is stronger, more resources. And in their suffering and their tears and pain, the people were wondering, wondering to the prophet, wondering out loud, has God left us? Have our failures brought an end? Have we, have we reached the end of God's patience and love? Did I mess everything up? Is my sin too great or too long? Or will the mistreatment that I have at the hands of others, will that simply be my story? It's into such questions and such despair that the weeping prophet proclaims proclaims to the people that Babylon will not prevail. The final word will not be your neighbor's strength or their greed. The final word will not be your sin or the consequences that have come upon you. No, the prophet was calling out saying that the Lord will be the final word. The final word will be the steadfast love of God. Why? For our God will forgive our iniquities and will remember our sins no more. And to capture the significance of this hope, of this, the possibility in the midst of tears, God uses the language of a new covenant. New here does not mean that the old is bad or the old has been forgotten. Rather, it stresses and affirms that God is still present that God is still acting, that God remains faithful even in the midst of difficulties. You see, the language of covenant is important. God's covenant and promise to Abraham and Abraham's offspring is 
really the, the thread that runs through the scriptures. He makes a promise to Abraham and to Abraham's wife Sarah in their old age when they were childless. God says that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then when taking Abraham's descendants, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt, he says to them, because of his great love, I am your God and you are my people. Now when all seems lost, when the people have forgotten about God, especially in the midst of their stress and uncertainties, when Babylon has destroyed the temple and taken people into exile, God speaks of a new covenant. A new covenant as a way of saying that he remains. Into our fears and shame and despair, God proclaims, I will act in a decisive way. Even in the face of your sin, even in the face of a violent and fallen world, even when all hope seems absent, I will act according to my steadfast love. So you asked, what does God promise? And first we can see that he is present even in the midst of our worst times. But we can also then ask, you know, what is the language of the new covenant? What, what language is given? You see, the new covenant we just read from Jeremiah promises reconciliation a people gathered together and united to God. I will be your God and you will be my people. The new covenant promises renewal. God's spirit will come upon his people, giving us new hearts, giving us a knowledge of who God is. A spirit that will endure even in the face of our sin and mistreatment. But I want us to see, and this brings us to the kind of the theme of our passage, that at the foundation of this new covenant, the reaffirmation that God is present and he will continue, the, the, the foundation is in the final language of it. And we see that with the word, the participle for. All these things are true for I will forgive your iniquity, for I will remember your sins no more. In other words, it is the Lord's forgiveness that makes the new covenant possible. The reason of God's enduring relationship, enduring promise of renewal is because he is a God who is steadfast in his grace and his faithfulness and his forgiveness. Hebrew poetry, the way it functions is it puts two phrases next to each other as a way to kind of complement each other and bring out an idea together. And we see that here, that the phrase forgive their iniquity and the phrase remember their sins no more are not separate thoughts, but they're rather complementary aspects of, of the same idea. I will remember their sins no more stands parallel with I will forgive their iniquities. God will forgive his people and will not punish their sins. This is the basis of the new covenant. That means our relationship with God is not lost due to our sin or trespasses. God, his mercy and grace and steadfast love declare to us 
that we are his people. And that reminds us that our relationship with God has, from beginning to end, always been based on his gracious movement towards us, always resting in his mercy. I don't know your experiences, but maybe you have had a moment or an experience in your relationships, whether it be family or marriage or friendships, where you've experienced someone forgiving you. Forgiving you in a way in which that sin is forgotten, meaning, meaning that that relationship, the lens of that relationship is not through what has happened or what has failed to happen. But the nature of that relationship is based in the grace and forgiveness. That one relates to you not in what you have done, not by remembering what had happened or what had not happened, but relates to you based in steadfast love and grace. If we've experienced that or if we've longed for that, it helps point us to what God's saying here about his love for you. Because of God's forgiving love, our relationship with God is not defined by our sin. It's not circling around a remembrance of our failures. Rather, God relates to us as one who remembers our sin no more. This is good news. And it's at the heart of what God promises to his people. Reflecting on this promise then leads us to the second question that we can ask is, how does Jesus fulfill or accomplish this promise? You see, the book of Hebrews, not, it's not the only spot, but this is the primary one. It references Jeremiah 31, and it puts Jesus right there at the center of it. Well, it might not, as we kind of think about this, it might not be obvious to us, but our passage, the Hebrews passage, the second one, invites us to think about work and rest. Work and rest. And think for a moment about your day at, at home or at your workplace. And what is the physical posture of your work? Are you standing up and moving? Or maybe you're sitting at a desk with a phone or a computer. We need to think about what's you know, being invited in our passage. You know, for some of us, our work is done sitting down. So when we stand up, it's a sign that we're taking a break, you know, stretching our legs, or maybe the workday is over. And for some of us, our daily responsibilities at home or at work move us around. We stand, we walk, and in this case, sitting down means that you are resting or maybe in a good sense, you have finished your work. You see, in the ancient world, most working people labored in fields or in a physical hands-on craft. Only a few sat down to work. And so our passage is envisioning work as a time of standing, a time of moving, and sitting as a sign that the work is done. In that contrast between working and completion, between standing and sitting, 
our passage wants us to think about the Old Testament priests in Jesus. He says, look, the priests of Aaron, the priests who were in the temple, they never sat down in the sanctuary. They remained standing throughout their duties. They remained standing because they never fully completed their work, repeatedly offering sacrifice after sacrifice. A priest in the temple had to make sacrifices for his own sins, and then multiple priests had to enter the sanctuary repeatedly to offer numerous sacrifices for the sins of the people. See, the priest stands, but Jesus' posture is different. Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. So now he has sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews wants us to hear and see Jesus has finished his work day. He finished his task. It's completed. His sinlessness means he did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself. And when he entered into the heavenly sanctuary for us, he entered it once for all time. He does not need to die or make offerings over and over again. The whole idea of the standing sitting is that his work is done. He has sat down from the humiliation and death of the cross. Jesus, the risen and ascended one, now sits in the place of honor and glory at God's right hand. So how does Jesus complete this? How does he fulfill the promise that he gives an offering of himself that endures forever? And each Sunday, this table behind me, we celebrate communion. And as part of this, we remember Jesus having his final meal, celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And do you remember during the meal, Jesus speaks of a new covenant? It's language that we say every Sunday. He intentionally, using this language of the new covenant, connects himself with the promise of Jeremiah. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We're, we're probably used to it, so maybe it's hard for us to grasp the significance. But surely those who first heard it, especially those familiar with the promise of the new covenant, would have been stunned that Jesus is connecting his broken body and shed blood on the cross to all the promises of the new covenant the reconciliation, the renewal, and the forgiveness. And so as we gather at this table, we gather as God's forgiven people. Our sin forgiven and forgotten. That's why this table is a profound blessing and a sign of the gospel. For our sin no longer stands between us and God but that we have a place at the family meal of God, viewed not as simply sinner, but viewed as son and daughter of God. We gather in remembrance, not of our, our work, but remembrance of Jesus, celebrating the one who has sat down because he's completed the work on our behalf. At the table of this new covenant, there are no more offerings, no more things we have to bring, no more sacrifices we make to appease God, but we are welcomed 
by the grace of God in Christ. As we think about how Jesus fulfills this promise, I want to mention uh, an article I saw a few years ago by a Russian, about, uh, about a Russian artist named Alexander Tiskov. And it was about him that he creates what he calls religious graffiti. <laughs> religious graffiti. He paints on abandoned buildings, on roofs, on walls, on water towers. But his graffiti isn't his name. You know, maybe we can think of the graffiti that we see on subway cars or other places around the city. His graffiti isn't his name, but ancient Christian images. He recreates religious icons in public spaces. Maybe you've seen a, an icon, an image created for veneration or devotion, an image of an individual expressing God's presence this artist's work is to create these icons not in the traditional religious spaces, but in the places of everyday life. Inviting those who see to think about God's presence in the ordinary, God's holiness even dwelling in abandoned spaces. And if we can picture such an idea, this religious graffiti on the side of a building, it helps us think about Jesus' work one, the incarnation that God, the creator of all things, because of his great love for us, has drawn near to us, entering into our everyday and our ordinary, entering into the places of despair that Jeremiah wept over. But the religious graffiti doesn't just do that. It invites us to think about how when we have faith in Christ, when we're united to Christ, even as we go through our day, God says that we are with Christ in a special way. What do, what do I mean by that? Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, explains how we are with Christ. Because of God's great love for us, even though you and I were dead in our sins and trespasses, because of God who is rich in mercy, he has made us alive with Christ, and he has seated us in heavenly places with him. What I want us to hear when we ask the question, how has Christ fulfilled this, is what the gospel is saying to you is that you and I have a new position through Christ. Not only does God draw near to us in the places of our despair and brokenness and sin, but the promise is that in Christ we actually sit with him. We sit with him as the one whose work is completed. So today as we gather, as we come to the table, we do so not as those ready to bring a new offering or a new opportunity to God or a new statement about what we can or will not do. We come as those who sit with Christ, the one who has completed the work on our behalf that we be forgiven and our sins would be remembered no more. We are truly forgiven we do not look to anything that we have done or promised to do. We do not look at anything the church or the clergy can do. But we look at the work of Christ on the cross. For Jesus is our interceding priest. Invites us to come and sit with him. Reminding us to rest in his grace. To rest in his love. And to rest in a forgiveness. Which means that our sins are forgotten. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to us this day by your spirit and by the truth of your word, that we would find new hope and new rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand to join us with singing.
the Father, creator of heaven and earth, have mercy upon us. O God the Son, Redeemer and the world, have mercy Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me um, in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again as we prepare let's feel free to be seated Well, it's, uh, it's our trouble, it's our suffering, it's our rebellion, it's our very real need of God's presence and his care that bring us to this table, that bring us here as we are hungry and thirsty. And friends, this table is a very visible, a very tangible reminder, a pointer that God draws near to his people. He has walked in the shadow of suffering. He knows the voice of, of uh, he knows the voice that would sow and turn our hearts to fear. He understands the agony of the brokenness of this world. And Jesus, he not only walks into the darkness, he walks into suffering and death. And this table, his body and blood, when we take them in by faith, we take in the very rescue of God to make atonement to deal fully and finally and completely with the kingdom of darkness. So that, so that for us, our lives are freed up to love, to forgive, to be forgiven, to hold our doubts and faith, to find really the surprise and joy when we experience his mercy and his grace. Friends, this is the life that Jesus died for us to receive. It is the life that we are invited to partake this morning. And so if you believe that, if you have in repentance and faith turned to Christ, then come and eat, be filled up, be nourished by his mercy and his grace. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a, a common use to a sacred and holy one, that you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith with this bread and wine. We ask it in Jesus' name. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I do invite you to, to come down the center aisle to take the elements, to, to go back on the sides, and just to hold the elements until we've all been served that we can eat and drink together. Um, if you're not going to come forward for the elements this morning, um, you're still welcome to come forward uh, just to place your hand across your chest, uh, Pastor Chad or, or myself are happy to, uh, we'd love to offer you a blessing. Um, but this time the, the servers are, are, are able to come forward.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, as, as we respond to the table, let's stand together for a time of prayer and song and uh, an affirmation of our faith. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the goodness of God by your perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection. Help us to trust your goodness and care for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died. Standing in our place, Jesus suffered during his years on earth, especially in the tortures of the cross. He carried God's judgment on our sin. His sacrifice removed our guilt. God raised him from the dead. He walked out of the grave. Conqueror of sin and death, Lord of life. We are set right with God, given new life, and called to walk with him in freedom from sin's dominion. You may be seated. We're going to continue worship through a time of giving. And I invite for the, the greeters that can uh, pass. There's a, a, a basket. You can put your offering cup in a gray basket and then also an offering plate if you'd like to give an offering uh, to the work of the church. Uh, you can also give through the, you can see a note here through the website or you can text as well if you're interested in doing that. Um, but I just want to take a moment to say welcome, especially if you are visiting uh, today. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for, for joining us for worship. Um, after the service, uh, there is a time of coffee and bagels. It's in the Waters Cafeteria, which is uh, just to our to my left. Um, because of the construction, instead of going out the back doors like we normally do, uh, you can go uh, the hallway behind me and then turn to your right and you walk all the way down. You'll see the, the cafeteria. And it'll be a great chance to, to get to know each other and uh, spend some time together, enjoy some coffee. Um, but also, if you're visiting and like to share your um, uh, information with the church for the weekly email or for Pastor Brian and I to, to follow up, uh, we'd love for you to do that. There is a couple options. There's a QR code in your back of your order of worship. You can fill it out online. Uh, or there's uh, the welcome cards are at the back table. Uh, you can fill one out, uh, a physical one, and drop it off. We'd love to be able to follow up and, and see if you have any questions about the church. Let's continue worshiping through the giving of our gifts to God.
Please stand for the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. You may go in peace. Amen.